Pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. Shredu rou pian. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Welcome back everyone for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My guest today is a baker and a cookbook author. She studied and worked in fashion design in Mumbai before moving to England. She entered the Greater British Bake Off in Series 5, where she reached semi-finals. Since then, she has written several cookbooks, including her latest book, Chatna's Easy Baking. She also contributes for Foods 52, and you can also find her on YouTube, Food with Chetna. Chetna Makan, how are you? I am very well. Thank you so much for having me here. My pleasure. The first question of this podcast is always, it's not interesting. It's for my own interest. Have you ever been to Portugal? No. Oh, well, it's okay. You're so close. It's on my list and I would love to go. Let me just... Yes, when you same. when you go, just text me so we do the whole we plan the whole thing. When you go, oh there. great! There oh, that makes it easy. See, <laughs> why is the kitchen a sacred place to an Indian family? Oh, just to an Indian family? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't think it's just, but I know it's very big in Indian culture. See, I grew up with food wasn't part. You know, the kitchen wasn't part of my my family, I guess. But I know, especially and traditionally in Indian culture, it's very it's something very very strong. So, um, I think I would think uh, for me it was uh, growing up with my mom cooking all the time. So it wasn't like we had cooks at home or we um, she kind of used any shortcuts. So everything was done from scratch. And uh, when my, say, cousins came in or friends came in, they would go straight to the kitchen. It wasn't even an open plan kitchen. They live in the same house still. But just the women just went straight into the kitchen and that's where they would catch up while the men uh, sat outside. Yeah, so I think it was quite a community thing and they would all chip in. So it's not like they're standing and my mom's cooking. Like they would chip in, they would cook as well. Yeah, that could be the reason. And I think everyone just cooks and feeding people is such a big thing. God, you still can't go to India and they'll say, oh, you haven't eaten anything. And then without asking, just put more on the plate. It's kind of like a, it just happens. They just love to say, oh, you're looking weak. Have some more, you know, it's feeding is such a big thing. And your mom is a great cook, correct? Yes. And you learn a lot from her. Is there anything she makes that you still quite can get there? You try, you try, you try, but doesn't taste the same? I think I wouldn't say that, though I, I think I can make whatever she makes. The only thing is that whatever she makes and whatever I make, they just don't taste the same. So I can make the same thing, okay. but it's just the taste is never the same. And I think even... First, I used to think that obviously the ingredients in India and England are different. So even the flour will taste different. The dairy is different. Everything's different. So you can't get the exact taste. But when she visits me and she'll make the same kind of dal that I make, but it just tastes different. So I think there's something with the way the hand or maybe what I make, my daughter might not be able to recreate. I don't know. But it's just the way she cooks. I can't create the exact same flavors. Are your kids, I mean, they're teenagers now, but they are they enjoying cooking as well? Um, they're not into cooking as such, but they like baking. Uh, no. So, yeah, so they will bake at any opportunity or uh, they do a bit of cooking, like they'll make 
pancakes on Sundays and they'll make their eggs and things like that or make pasta or noodles, something basic. Uh, but they're not very keen in real cooking, to be honest. I can't blame them because I hardly have the kitchen free for them to kind of just... Because you're always doing everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, I think I might have to leave the kitchen one weekend just for them to play around it. How was that transition from the fashion world to the culinary world for you? I think it wasn't kind of like a transition, to be honest, because I just stopped fashion when I moved to England and... I did a bit of work, but not in fashion, but in clothes, which wasn't the same. So I stopped that. And it wasn't like a smooth transition where, you know, it was just how life kind of circumstances changed and um, the cooking opportunity came up. And yeah, um, kind of, I think I applied for it. So created an opportunity, I guess. But yeah, um, so it wasn't a transition. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't mm -hmm. thought through. It just happened. You know, when you enter the show, the British Bake Off, um, I call the show a mental yoga because you watch, it's kind of chilled. You watch and when you realize you're already seven episodes in. So that's, I call British Bake Off a mental yoga. Why do you think people love the show so much? It's quite uh, true to life, I guess, because people are genuinely in there um, for the love of baking. And for the love of sharing, because obviously they're not making all of that for themselves. And they, I think they just, yeah, they're just there for the right reasons, I guess. And also, I think in the tent, uh, there is no, not very obvious competitiveness where they're not trying to like hoping or oh, that hope that cake doesn't rise or her cake doesn't rise or his bread fails. It's not like that. I think everybody's just focused on doing well, where they hope everyone does well kind of so it's a it's quite a genuine happy vibes in there genuinely when i in us here when i talk to my friends and i was just talking last night is and i know it sounds silly to say but because the reason maybe they win a cake stand at the end and there's not like a money involved you know people get very competitive thinking about the money i'm going to win that money do you think it just like you said truly is just bakers being there because they enjoy and yeah, there's not like the price is not, I mean, obviously winning is a great achievement, right? But it's not, do you think that takes that competitive part out? To be honest, uh, you might be right there, but I can talk about my group, uh, my batch of bakers only, honestly speaking, because I know a lot of other bakers from other years, but I wasn't there in the tent with them. But for us, I think it was, I don't think I even checked out what the winner's thing was because mm -hmm. it was still uh, we were the year five so it was still kind of early years and yeah I don't think I I checked out and I none of us got paid to take part so yeah I think you might be right there actually I've never thought it from that point of view but that does make quite a lot of sense would you do it again I wouldn't go back now because I did go back for a Christmas special. Mm -hmm. And when I went there, I was like, oh, my God, that those feelings came back. And I was like, what am I doing here again? So, no, I wouldn't do it again. After I know your books, some books you had, it was very emphasis on baking, but a lot of them also just uh, your savory. When it comes to baking because of the British Bake Off, is there something you still make or you still bake that it just doesn't quite, you know, uh, you get you get... You get there. There's something quite a silly challenge for you, even every time you bake. Um, I think mm, 
I'm not very good at, I guess I'm not into very perfect looking cakes. I love cakes and I think I make good cakes. They'll taste out of this world, but they might not look, uh, you know, I can't do, I can't do because I don't want to, I guess. Maybe if I put my head into it, I might be able to. But like, you know, where people make sh- cakes in the shape of football or yeah. uh, birds or aeroplanes and things like that. I just can't do that. It's just not for me. I yeah. can't do fondant. I saying my cake needs to taste amazing and it should look like it's homemade uh, and made with love. That's my key. So I don't like very perfect looking, you know, patisserie is not my my thing. For me, it's caramel. Just doesn't like me. Oh, interesting. Every time I, love I think there's yeah, there's a there's a plan every time I try to make caramel that's tried to ruin me. Every single time. Uh I don't know why. You wrote in this summer came out um Chatney Easy's Baking co- uh, the cookbook. Can you talk a little bit about the book where people can find in that book and the decision to write that book? Yeah, I think it's my sixth cookbook and uh, the first one was baking book and then I went to Indian uh, writing so it was street food healthy food 30 minute food and I think after writing the 30 minute Indian which was my fifth book I just felt like I was missing the joy of baking um, and I wanted to go back to a bit of baking because it had been too long so um, I thought I'll that's why the baking book and I just wanted a book that anyone can pick up and bake from. So even my kids or amateurs or kind of grandparents or anybody uh, at any level can pick it up and make it. So the whole idea of simple baking came about. But at the same time, it's my cookbook. So it couldn't be just simple baking. And I had to have um, a kind of my signature to it, the way I cook at home, which is a bit of spice here and a bit of spice there. But you'll notice that the recipes don't have spices thrown at it just for no reason. They're very balanced. And um, some of them might have just a, a great big dash of vanilla, but it's just trying to cleverly think of ways to incorporate spices into everyday baking like the masala focaccia so focaccia is focaccia and everyone loves it but i added uh, the flavors of indian food with the masala into the focaccia which just takes it to the next level so that's how this book uh, is uh, designed and made what was your first memory of taste Taste. I think, I I don't think there's one specific memory of taste. I think smell, there is definitely a memory of smell where my mom makes ghee at home herself. And when we used to come back from school, they live on the first floor. And as I'm walking up the stairs, I knew she'd made ghee because the smell, the aroma of homemade ghee was just so strong. Uh, And that is something I, I can actually still remember to this day. Most underrated ingredients? Oh, I think underrated. Oh, there are kind of lots of uh, things that are underrated. I think okra is underrated. I think cauliflower is underrated. Um, I think, um, yeah, um, lentils. I think lentils are just people are, I don't know why people are so scared of cooking with lentils. And I just think lentils are pure joy. And it's just you can do unbelievable amount of things with lentils, various cooking um, from a simple flatbread, lentil flatbread to a soup. So yeah, I think those are very underrated. Overrated. Oh, I don't think anything is overrated. But I think um, 
Yeah, people just talk about chickpeas all the time, which I think <laughs> so. Like I love chickpeas. I I actually can live on chickpeas, but you know there are other things in world too. <laughs> okay. Chickpeas. What is a strange food combination that you eat that some people oh. might think it's a little weird? Now we never think it's weird because we are eating that. I I was talking with Ensley Harriet last week. I was telling him some because I also teach cooking classes, and I was, uh, you know, people say very strange things from popcorn in tomato soup to cheddar cheese inside their cereal i always share with my guests that my weird thing i always microwave my cereal don't ask that's me that's not why. weird my Isn't kids it? do oh, that i do that oh so, so we all in the same family then there yeah milk cereal 30 seconds that's how i eat cereal but is there anything maybe a sweet and, and salty combination that you do that some people might think it's a little too much I don't think it's uh, it's strange, but it's something that is not commonly done here. And people have asked me when I've, I've told them uh, is I make I have egg for lunch. So it could be an omelet. It could be scrambled. It could be fried. And I always have Bombay mix with it, which is the crunchy uh, Indian kind of spice kind of snack. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always sprinkle that on top of it. Um, and that is something which is a very Indian kind of thing to do, but people here find it quite odd and unusual. So that could be my unusual combination, I guess. Best midnight snack? Ooh, uh, I do like popcorn, but chocolate maybe? Yeah, or a glass of wine. (laughs) Or both. (laughs) Actually, talking about food combination, someone told me the other day, it was a piece of dark chocolate with blue cheese on top. It was a bite of that and sipping a little bit of red wine. Oh, no, thank you. There's some strange people out there, I'm telling you. Um, One meal you can eat for the rest of your life. Ooh, I can eat eggs, actually, for the rest of my life, yeah. I wish I was an eggs person, Chetna. You're not? You know, I actually, I had, just before I got into this recording, I had an omelet, and I don't remember last time. No, I, in Portugal, we just, I guess, grew up with pastries, and it's a lot of toast. And no, I it's kinda... not something I grew up with. We didn't have egg every single day. Yeah. It's not something. It's not a. It's not a, a usual Indian breakfast. You must know, like people know, Indian breakfasts have got so many things on it. Obviously, yeah. eggs is one of them, but it's not one of the big things. But I've been doing it for a few years now, and five out of seven days I have eggs for lunch, uh, and I could actually. I it might be six out of seven days I have. For lunch and sometimes it's seven out of seven days i have eggs for lunch um, <laughs> and i absolutely i've been having that for years so it's not something i'm i'm bored of yet in fact if i haven't had egg for a day then i crave it so yeah eggs is did you my, have eggs today i did have eggs today omelet scrambled where we had today i fried with fried. chili sauce on top yeah okay the name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Those are actually two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded expectations. Do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? Oh, my God. I don't think either. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I'm not, I can't say I've got enough experience. I've got so much more to learn and I don't think I've exceeded expectations either, at least not mine. So... I don't know. You put a lot of pressure on yourself? No, I, I don't actually. I, I That might have come across wrong, but I don't uh, put pressure, which is why I I want to enjoy every moment. So there's no gain, but I haven't exceeded 
expectation, but uh, I'm very happy with what I have achieved and where I am today. And I enjoy every second of it, and which is the key of continuing to do the same work every day. And at the end, we always tell my guests to sell their fish. In Portugal, if someone tells you to sell your fish, that means to talk about yourself. I mean, obviously, lots of people you know know your work, but you know where people can find you, if there's anything in the future that you can uh, sort of say something, just sell your fish a little bit, Chetna. Oh, wow. Okay. I think I would like to say, come join me on YouTube because that's my favorite platform. Um, I cook from my kitchen. Some days I am in my track pants, absolutely messy hair. And some days I might have made an effort. And it's just the the kitchen is real. It's my home. This is the kitchen on YouTube where I'm sitting right now. And it's just my family eating what I cook for. It's real life. Like the other day I shared a video and my son was filming it and he sneezed in the middle of the video and I just kept it because that's, you know, that it is what, and the other day I cut a, cut my thumb while making a recipe. So it, it's not edited, it's not scripted. It's just what I feel like making today that I, so yeah, I think, um, and I really hope you'll enjoy it because it is a glimpse into uh my real life but at the same time you learn lots of amazing dishes to cook last but not least it's important what's for dinner today oh i have got black eyed peas with uh chapati and i also bought some fish so i don't know what i'll do with the fish but that's what <laughs> is for dinner okay shatna thank you very much this was a pleasure uh- Thank you so much. Um, it was lovely talking to you. Likewise. And, you know, when you go to Portugal, just shoot me a text. I'll give you the whole, the whole thing. Perfect. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much, Chetna, for coming on the podcast. For everyone else, don't forget, go check it out. Ainsley's episode last week. And also all the other 50 or something episodes the previous seasons. I'll be back next week. If you have any suggestions for a guest, please reach out to me on my Instagram at my name, David G. Martins Chef, or check my website, David, with the E at the end, gmartins.com. I'll be back next week. Hopefully, Portugal will be in the quarterfinals of the World Cup, because that's important. Adios.